For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We will be watching you. You know, this is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You've stolen my dreams. You've stolen my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, people are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can think about is money. Fairy tales. Eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away? And then you come here saying that you are doing enough. When the politics and the solutions needed are nowhere in sight. You say you hear us. You say you understand the urgency, but no matter how sad and angry I am, I don't want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation, and you kept on failing to act, then you would be evil. And that I refuse to believe. You're uncomfortable with all the figures because you are not mature enough to tell the truth. You are failing us. But young people are beginning to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are on you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. A 16-year-old said that this week. A 16-year-old named Greta Thunberg addressed the UN Climate Action Summit. And she said the exact words that I just said to you to the most powerful leaders across the globe. And she did so passionately and unflinchingly for all to see and hear. And the very next day, a megachurch pastor by the name of Robert Jeffers, he is the largest church in the state of Texas. He got on the radio to express how disappointed he was. He said, somebody needs to read to poor Greta Genesis chapter 9. Tell her that whenever she worries about this global warming, just look at a rainbow. That's God's promise. That the world will never, ever flood again. Someone just read poor Greta, Genesis chapter 9. The text Bob read for us is long. It's full of details. It's kind of weird. There's a lot regarding the legal rights of property, how it can be held within families. There's the proper procedure for procuring the property. There's even the naming of particular places and people that feel even too specific for the Bible. But it comes down to just one thing. The whole passage is just trying to say one thing, and that's that Jeremiah was a really bad realtor. (laughs) And the whole thing is crazy. Jerusalem is under siege. Jeremiah has already noted that Jerusalem is going to fall to Babylon, that King Zedekiah, along with all the people, they're going to be exiled as strangers in a strange land to Babylon. And for what it's worth, he is saying this from prison. Jeremiah got arrested. He got locked up for declaring that the time had come for them to put down their arms and to surrender to Babylon, which... When you have a megalomaniacal ruler like Zedekiah, if someone says, hey, it's time for us to give up, that's called treason. 
So they threw him in jail. And Jeremiah chooses this moment from behind bars, weird as it might be, to buy a piece of property that is quite literally in the process of being taken by somebody else. It's weird. Jeremiah, for reasons often beyond our ability to comprehend or understand, maintains a tremendous faith in God. The God who first called him to be a prophet. While everything in his life was screaming the contrary, Jeremiah declared a steadfastness toward God because God was with him. He asked all the people of Jerusalem, all the people of Israel, to open their eyes to what was really happening. What Jeremiah could see and what so many others couldn't was that while the destruction of Jerusalem would mean the end of everything they knew and everything they understood, it did not mean that God had abandoned them or that God had lessened God's connection with God's creation. They would always be God's people no matter what, no matter how bad things would become. Later, Jeremiah will write a letter to the exiles all the way in Babylon. They're trying to seek out what it means to be in a strange new world. And the prophet will tell them to do this. Till the soil. Marry. Bear children. Worship the Lord. Stay together. Because God is with you no matter what. But what about this piece of property? And what about this piece of land that he spends 15 shekels of silver on? Scripture says it's about redeeming the land. And it's not an act of foolish hope or ignorance of the obvious. Procuring the land was a sign act to the faith that Jeremiah had for the future of God's people and God's promises. And that even in the present, God is present in catastrophe. Which in the end, that's what faith is all about. Faith is believing in impossible things. And then seeing that they weren't really that impossible to begin with. It's about believing in things not yet seen and then being part of something that helps to make those unseen things become seen. In short, this is what faith is. Faith is looking out at a bunch of powerful and wealthy adults, knowing that their own interests have led to the imminent destruction of their world, and hoping against hope they're going to hear what you're trying to say. Faith is hoping that they will begin to understand, that they will start to shift their lives around, and that something new and beautiful can come out of their nothing. Faith gets... Kicked around a lot in the world today, and sometimes for good reason. Christians have, at times, acted in ignorance of facts and figures to instead be moved by charismatic individuals who, notably, Jesus warns us about in the Gospels. Christians have absolutely been responsible for reprehensible behavior in the world, and we often brush it aside as if nothing ever happened. One of the things about faith that we often ignore or forget is that faith requires us to open our eyes to what's really going on. To open our eyes, as Jeremiah would have us do, to what happened and is still happening, and that we have to be willing to accept responsibility, which is crazy because today we like to shirk responsibility all the time. We like to wash our hands of any wrongdoing. It's become this all-too-common refrain, oh, it's not my fault my ancestors owned slaves. Or I shouldn't be punished for what other people did to the native people who lived here before us. And yet scripture reminds us over and over and over again that today we are not paying for the sins of our parents. We are paying for our own sins. The problems of this world are on us as much as they are on anybody else. And that is why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. 
He knew and he saw and he believed the truth about people in his midst in ways that we still deny and ignore and disbelieve. It brought him to tears, knowing that the people willfully chose to disobey the one in whom they moved and had their being. Jeremiah wept as mothers and fathers and children were carried off into a foreign land, leaving behind a city on fire. He wept because they refused to believe the truth. And for many years, I used to love this expression, seeing is believing. I wanted proof or evidence prior to and before making an assertion of something's relevance. And for most of my life, that was fine. Seeing is believing. But of course, we live in a time now where seeing isn't even really part of the equation. People and pastors like Robert Jeffress can speak of people like Greta Thunberg as if they are the ones who are ignorant of God's movements and motives in the world. And people lap it up. He has the biggest church in Texas. People show up every week to hear what he has to feed them because he grants them permission to keep closing their eyes to the truth around them. They're like people on a boat telling everyone, oh, you have nothing to worry about, even though they've just hit an iceberg and they're sinking to the bottom of the ocean. And people like Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old girl, can stand up with the courage of someone like Jeremiah to say and do what others cannot and will not. You know, when I watched her speak this week, when I saw all of her passion and her energy and her conviction, when I heard all the numbers and the figures that she was mentioning about her CO2 emissions and all this stuff, you know the thing that stayed with me most? It wasn't any of that. It was when she said, I refuse to believe that you are evil. I mean, talk about faith. Because many of those people and the people they represent, friends, they are categorically evil. They choose profits over people. They think about the short term instead of the long term. And they have drunk themselves silly with deniability about everything that's happening and everything that we've done to the world. And Greta Thunberg, she knows those people. She knows what they do. She knows what they care about. She knows that they've denied the truth for 30 years. She knows that their interests and their beliefs do not match her own. And she knows that many of them, if not most, will return to business as usual as if nothing happened. Greta Thunberg, Jeremiah, prophets, they know what we human beings are really like. Because we choose the things we know we shouldn't. We avoid doing the things we know we should. At the end of the day, for many of us, it doesn't matter how many numbers and figures are placed in front of us, whether it's about something like racial profiling in our country or the overwhelming advantage of white privilege or how many emissions of CO2 we have in the air. It doesn't matter how that's put out in front of us. We are going to believe what we want to believe. Or to put it another way, we're going to act according to whatever narrative requires the least from us. Jeremiah... He believed in something he could not see. He didn't wait until people changed their behavior. He didn't delay until the right statistics started coming in. No, Jeremiah, he believed in impossible things. He believed that God would make good on God's promises. He believed that when the time came, the people would see how far they had moved from the good news of God's purposes and would return to the promised land of renewed people. See, that's the difference between Jeremiah and someone like Robert Jeffress. Robert Jeffress believes that God will never flood the world again. 
like God did during the days of Noah. And he's right. God hung up that rainbow in the sky as a sign that God would never do that to God's creation again. But that's exactly the problem. God isn't the one doing global warming to us. We're doing it to ourselves. We are now the ones who are drunk on petroleum and fossil fuels and unmonitored emissions. We're writing checks that our ecosystems can't cash. We're walking around blind to how much our actions are fundamentally rewriting the entire fabric of our planet. But here's the good news. God has not abandoned us. You see, God lifts up ordinary people like a 16-year-old girl and speaks a prophetic word through her to all with ears to hear. You know, she has no reason to believe that the people listening will heed her call and change their ways, but she keeps going anyway. You know, Christ had no indication that the words he used, the actions he offered, were going to reshape the lives of the people who followed him. Remember that in the end, he was all alone. Abandoned on the cross. And yet he still died for us. Faith is believing in things not yet seen. And then one day, seeing what you believe. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Amen. A couple days ago on Twitter, I wrote a tweet saying, I think I'm going to preach about global warming in church on Sunday. And a whole lot of people wrote to me and said, that's a bad idea, Taylor. (laughs) We don't talk about things sometimes. Because we've stopped taking what's happening in this seriously. Have you read one of these recently? It's all bad news. (laughs) That's it. I need something like this to help find good news in my life. God is not warming the planet to punish us. Friends, we are punishing ourselves. And we're so drunk on it that we won't talk about it. The craziest thing of all is that God knows the kind of car we drive. God knows how often we leave the sink running when we know we shouldn't. God knows that we put things in the trash that we should put in the recycling. And God says, come to my table anyway. I'm going to forgive you for all of your foolishness. Not because it's cheap or it's empty, but because by forgiving you, it's going to force you to start changing the way you live. Forgiveness isn't just this blanket that covers all of us. It is. But forgiveness also implies a willingness for us to start to change. It's only when we're forgiven can we start to hear what God is really saying to us. It frees us to actually live differently than we did before. It frees us to hear the real prophets in our midst and ignore the ones who aren't. So would you please bow our heads and pray with me? Lord, you've invited us here. You've seen us. You've seen the real us. You know what we've done and what we've avoided doing. And you say, anyway, come. I know you're struggling. I know you're tired. I know you're weak. I know you feel alone. Come, I will help you find rest. Come find rest in me. And the bread and the cup and the people in your midst, you'd never have to be alone. But you also can't stay the same. So come, and I will show you a new way. So we pray, O Lord, that you might show us that new way.
Be the light to the path where our feet are treading, so that in the end we walk in the ways that lead to life and not to death. And all God's people say,